Pete Nance once again bails out North Carolina with a ridiculous basket in the final 30 seconds of regulation that helps propel Carolina to victory. But it was the series of events that led to Nance's basket that I want to talk about. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. It is my birthday. I'm a year older, but after this game from the Tar Heels, I think it took about 10 of those years off my life. So, Pac, I think I'm really 49 coming in to this show today. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, folks. The only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade. Joining me, as he does every Wednesday, from his truck is our guy, Here's why that's going on. It's snowing in Oklahoma City. Pac's power is out at his house, so he wanted to be here. He's making it work. Give all the accolades to your guy, Pac, for his persistence. And (laughs) Pac, we're so glad that you're still able to be here. Today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sports betting sponsor, FanDuel, this official sports book of the Locked On Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. Want to remind you that coming up on Friday show, we are having a mailbag episode since there's no game this weekend. So get those questions in. Already got a bunch, but we can definitely take some more. Coming up on today's show, we are unpacking this whew, game over Syracuse, the victory for Carolina 72 to 68. I just told Pac, my heart has still not slowed down, but man, sometimes those are the fun games, especially on the road. We will have our four corners recap, our shady stat of the game, our Kilby stat of the game, our odds and ends, but we got to start with Pete Nance. This is why you bring Pete Nance to North Carolina for this type of game. This was his time to shine Pat Kilby and shine. He did as Carolina wins 72 to 68 picking up their second true road win of the season. And they do so over a team that they were tied with in the ACC standings, meaning that Carolina just, it's moving day. You know, they're moving up. So, Pat Kilby, why was this Pete Nance's time to shine? Well, for one, you know, we've struggled on the road. And part of the reason I was so excited we brought him in was because he was going to bring some of that senior veteran leadership and really honestly that's exactly what he did tonight well he was just solid you know I mean he was more than solid he was really good um his passing for one set the tone uh, for how we handled their zone and then you know he went and dropped a 20 piece with it so um he just he played really well he was poised he hit big shot after big shot seemed to score in the moments when we needed him to um, altered a lot of shots around the rim. And so, I mean, he was just – felt like he was a little bit of everywhere tonight, which is exactly what we need him to do um, consistently. Yes, and, I mean, he was aggressive while doing it. Like, he was hunting his shot. He was being quick and decisive. And for, for those of you who were dialed into yesterday's show, to Tuesday's show, you heard me talk about one of the things you're always looking at when you go play the Syracuse 2-3 zone – is who's going to be the guy to get into the middle and be that facilitator. And we've discussed how Pete Nance, I believed, was the guy that had that requisite skill set. He's got the height. 
He's got the vision. He's got the skill and ability to make those passes and the ability to knock down a shot from the free throw line there, as you talked mm-hmm. about. And so props to Coach Dave, right? Like sometimes it's not a no-brainer that that's what you do, but that's what Coach Davis decided. I mean, it was clear, like we are riding with Pete Nance in the middle of this thing. And, and you saw it. Only one player in this game played the full 40 minutes. Who was it? Pete Nance, right? And so it's like, that is the guy we're riding with. I was, I was a little confused. First possession of the game, who flashed to the high post? Armando Baycott. And I was like, oh, well, this isn't what I thought we would do because it makes sense for Mondo to be behind the zone on the back end, working the baseline with Nance hitting him or others in the corners. And But after yeah. that, it was, it was Pete Nance living there with he and Baycott kind of switching out. One of the interesting things to me about it was that I thought Leakey would get some more run in that middle because you're looking for him, for that person to be able to facilitate out or knock down that mid-range. And I thought because Pete is, um, you know, career-long a better shooter than Leakey, I thought it would make more sense at times for Leakey to get in there and be that facilitator, but we, we didn't really see that. And, and let me just give the numbers. You, you talked about everything that Pete Nance did. Here's his stat line. 21 points on 6 of 17 shooting, 1 of 2 from 3. He, he did get out to the three-point line a little bit. He wasn't inside that lane all the time. 8 of 10 from the free throw line. One of those misses was crucial. We'll get to that in a second. Four rebounds, three assists, two turnovers, four steals. Pack, the man had four steals and a block. So, as predicted, great work with his facilitating, uh, whether it was through pass or shot or fake, which also helps move the zone. Pete Nance was doing it in there. Now, I I mentioned that free throw. Let's get to this moment because this is something you and I talked about um, right in the aftermath of the game that we thought was really important. Carolina had been able to foul out Jesse Edwards on the play where Pete Nance steps to the free throw line. There's about 20 seconds left. Carolina's down to 68 to 66. Jesse Edwards is gone, and so Carolina is not going to have to contend with him in the free throw lane. I mean, you're hoping Nance knocks down both of them, but now we're glad he didn't. (laughs) Patrick hits the first one, and then here comes the second shot, and this is what I want to get to that I alluded to off the top. He misses the shot, but because it's not Jesse Edwards in there, the second leading rebounder in the ACC, who clearly in my estimation would have gotten this rebound, at that point, that means Carolina's down one with 20 seconds left, and you got to foul at that point. Instead, because it's not Edwards, Armando is able to shove Edwards back up, up into the lane a little bit under the basket. That clears out space for Leaky Black to get in the lane, get his hands on the rebound. He can't corral it, but it kind of goes off of Baycott, goes off of Syracuse's Joe Girard, who makes the cardinal sin of saving the basketball under his own basket straight to Pete Nance, who fortuitously is just right there for the easy lay-in over the rim. Now, Pat Kilby, you're a coach who watches these things, intently diagnoses them. What are the things you saw? Like, am I diagnosing this accurately and properly as as I look at all these things that led up to Pete Nance's essentially game-winning bucket there? No, yeah, you're, yeah, I mean, you're spot on. It's, I mean, yes, there was a lot of things that led up to that, you know, as, Edwards was fouling out, which gave, you know, Baycott that advantage to get Leakey the ball there. And then, but here's the deal. I mean, Gerard's a veteran 
and a high IQ guy. And just to see him make that mistake in that moment, I, I mean, I almost still am shocked by it. And it happened, you know, a while ago. So it's just, <laughs> to me, it's just like, I'm sure he's kicking himself. I'm sure Bayhob's going, wow, I did not expect that. You know, now if you had told me it was one of the freshmen or one of the younger guys like yeah. Edwards or, or Mintz or somebody, I would have went, okay, I can see it. But just a veteran making that play, you know, it's it's almost – it's elementary, really, is you don't save the ball underneath the opponent's basket. You don't do it. And, folks, that's exactly why you don't do it right there. But from <laughs> Because Hill, you could lose a home game dropping you in the ACC stand. I mean, literally, little yeah. tiny plays made a difference in the win and loss of this game. Yeah. But Tar Heel Nation thanks you, Gerard. We yeah. thank you. Yes. <laughs> Joe Gerard, you will always be a great guy in our book. Yes. So anyway, just wanted to unpack that play and just, just help diagnose it and unpack it a little bit as we are going through the show. Well, uh, man, we need to next, Pat Kilby, go to our Four Corners recap. We're going to have our Kilby stat of the game, our Shady stat of the game, all of that coming up. But first, I need to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. We're really excited at Locked On about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they are the number one sports book in America, and that's FanDuel. If you're new to FanDuel, even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers, join today to get started with $150 in free bets. Guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. $5 bet, you get $150. That seems like a no-brainer. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. And you can even combine those and get a same game parlay. The lines for the conference championship games for this weekend are already out. Eagles favored by two and a half over the 49ers and the Chiefs by one and a half over the Bengals. And all of this on an app that's safe, fun, secure, and super easy to use. So, Football fans, do not miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Pack, who are you going for in the NFL Conference Championship games? Um, I'm rooting for the 49ers. Yep. I, I, I like Brock Purdy. Um, yeah, what a story. And the Chiefs or the Bengals? Oh, Joe, Joe Shiesty all day long, Bengals all day. That's who I want to win it all, but I do like 49 Okay, there we go. So, Pac's looking for a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl. We'll see what happens there. Okay, Pac, Pac Kilby, the four corners recap. Here we go. Number one, right out of the gate, this is something we've been looking for, waiting for, hoping for. We've been talking about how it's been a two-headed monster lately, of Armando Baycott and R.J. Davis. Boy, that first half, man, things got going for Caleb Love. Is he potentially breaking out? He was three for three in the first half, all from three, before he got into some foul trouble, two offensive fouls, and then that, that kind of took him out of his rhythm, and he didn't really ever find it back in the second half. That happens to players quite a bit, but finishes four of seven from the field, three of five from three, so he didn't make any more threes, four of six from the free throw line, but had, importantly, five assists, Pack and two 
turnovers in the game. Uh, I mean, did you see what you're wanting to see from Caleb that might indicate there might be a breakout of a bigger type coming? Yeah, I think tonight was definitely a confidence boost. Um, You know, one of the things I noticed about Caleb tonight was he seemed intent on attacking. And and I know that also picked up a couple charges that killed his momentum. But it also – Yep. You know, that one drive early in the game where he got to the middle of the lane and he was able to dish it to Baycott for Baycott's first bucket. That was, To me, that was crucial. That kind of got him going. Yep. And, um, you know, obviously, once you get going and you get to where you're attacking, then those threes kind of come because of that. And so – and he was he was effective. He was efficient. He didn't – I didn't think he forced the issue too much. He just – let the game come to him. And to me, I think that was, that was a positive sign was he could do all that and still score the ball, get five assists, get out of there with a win. We just need to make that where, or he needs to make that where that's consistent for him. And he allows the game to come to him naturally, consistently. That needs to be the rule and not the exception. One one of the things I thought, even though in the second half, he wasn't hitting as many shots, I really thought, um, like, for example, the poor RJ just got beat up in this game. But the first time RJ went out for a little extended period of time there after he took that first hit in the head, um, not the one that sent him to the locker room, the one earlier in the game, Caleb kind of took over point guard duties at that point, not Seth Trimble, who we didn't see much in this game, P.S. And I thought Caleb really made good decisions in that stretch in the second half. Dished out to Tyler Nickel for his three. We'll talk about Nickel and his game here in a second. Um, had another possession a couple plays later where kind of really um, deduced what was going on in the play and settled, not settled for, but utilized his floater in the lane, which, man, that floater is, is vicious when it's on. And so really thought Caleb did a good job. Four corners point number two, Pack Kilby. One of the things you're looking for in road environments is that you get off to a good start and try to take the crowd out of it early. As you alluded to earlier, North Carolina has not been good on the road this season. Just one win prior in a true road game, and that was at Louisville. Are we even really counting that game? Because, wow, poor Cardinals. Anyway, Carolina got that start they needed. They led 8-2. They led 13-4 and 15-6. But, man, as, as we saw, Syracuse was pesky man they just kept fighting back some of that is Syracuse some of that is Carolina something packed that you had said is this is another moment of another example of not putting away a team what did you see we we talked about this last week in the midweek game as well after the Boston College win what did you see in this one was it fatigue again lack of defense what allowed Syracuse to keep pushing back You know, at first I thought it was a lack of defense. Um, And I'll explain. I'll explain where I'm headed with this. But uh, I really didn't like our ball screen coverages. Hmm. Why so? They were setting a lot of high ball screens, and Gerard was snaking them. Man, he's he's snaky, yes. Yes, yeah, he was snaking off of them. And then what it ended up being was a lot of, of open shots. But the more I think about it, I really actually liked our game plan. We forced them to take a lot of long twos, and they hit them. Mm. And I, you know, I, as a coach, that's kind of the goal defensively. You know, it's 
We don't want them taking catch and shoot threes. We don't want them getting to the paint, and we don't want them shooting free throws. We want long twos. And you can live with those. And you can live with those. And tonight, Syracuse hit them at a high enough clip that it kept them in the game, um, particularly uh, Mintz and Gerard, right? Um, and Edwards is there for some cleanup stuff. So, to me, I, I actually – I think that I just credit Syracuse for hitting some tough shots. Um, and that kind of got him back in the game. I thought we were efficient offensively. Um, I think we were 45% from the field. Uh, so we were efficient offensively. Right. Yep. And, you know, maybe we lost the rebounding battle, I think, by five. So it's correct. 35 30. But overall, I think Syracuse just hit some tough shots, and we got to give credit where credit's due. Okay. Number three in our four corners recap. We mentioned Tyler Nichols' name a second ago. I, I just thought he had a really nice game, made several maybe seemingly small contributions, but he just did a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of just bringing some of the things you need. He played 12 minutes. That was the most minutes off the bench, the only bench player who scored uh, – uh, excuse me, the only bench player who played double-digit minutes. Only got five points off the bench in this one, but – uh, these three and then Jalen Washington had a bucket as well. But um, some of the things that I, that stuck out to me from Tyler nickel and then pack, I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on it. He had that big chase down block in the first half and that thing was loud, man. Um, that corner three in the second half that we just talked about where Caleb kicked out to him. He had this really, really nice, almost assist to Armando Baycott. Baycott just couldn't finish at the rim. Um, Coach Davis trusted him to come back in at the second half. Like when RJ's coming out, it's like Tyler's the guy coming in, not DeMarco, not, you know, not Trimble at that moment. It's Tyler Nichols, the one he called upon. And that was interesting to me. But I thought one of the other things he did well is that <clears throat> he didn't just hunt three-point shots, which you are often tempted to do against a zone. I thought Tyler showed some, some of that maturation process that's going on right now for him as um, at times he like got the ball in a position where I've seen him pull the trigger on it earlier this season where he didn't. Now, one, if I'm nitpicking, there, there was one moment he had an open three in the corner and here comes Jesse Edwards rushing out at him. I want to see a pump fake there. Uh, maybe step in if you got to get to the rim since the rim protector's flying out of the picture. Um, but outside of that, I thought he just did a lot of good things. What did you see in Tyler Nichols' game, Pac? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you nailed it. I totally agree. He didn't force the issue um, for the most part. You know, he hit the three on the kick out. Um, I think he provides a really good presence in, as far as rebounding goes, too. There were a couple times. I don't know what he finished with on rebounds. I, I know I'll look while you're talking. And it wasn't always – and that's not where I'm going with it, but it wasn't always that he got the rebound. He just did a really nice job of blocking his man out. Like, just mm. – Fundamental blockouts. Yep. Uh, I know yeah, he only had one himself, but he's he's clearing the way for other people to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he may not get it, but his man's not going to get it. You know, so he does a really good job with that. And you know, I say this, I say this about Trimble, I say this about Nickel. Um, I think he can really help us. I just hope we get to a point where he has a consistent and clear cut role for our team. And right now, I don't know if that's the case. 
because of the way Coach Davis has done his sub patterns. <laughs> Another confusing game of substitution patterns where Jalen Washington is the first one in off the bench. Hmm. Anyway, fourth corner of our four corners recap is free throws. One of the things you need to know if, if you're not aware, folks, is that against a zone, you often settle for shots, whether it's mid-range or threes or whatever it is, and it is hard and difficult to attack and get to the free throw line as you do. As you know, for this North Carolina team, that is a thing they rely on and need as part of their offensive attack. And so one of the things I mentioned in my What to Watch for in yesterday's show was that I was looking for Carolina to still get 15 to 20 attempts. And I got to tell you, at halftime, Pat Kilby, it wasn't looking too hopeful in that regard. Carolina had just two free throw attempts at halftime. In fact, those were the only two free throw attempts of the first half. Syracuse didn't have any. But then the Tar Heels come out with this renewed necessity to get to the line and have 21 attempts in the second half. So love the number of attempts. They didn't convert at the rate that they typically do, especially coming off of what they did Saturday, just 14 of 23. In fact, RJ Davis himself missed two in a row after having hit 19 in a row coming in to this game. But you still love to see the Tar Heels getting there, finding ways coming out of the halftime locker room, halftime locker room to make some adjustments and find their way to the line. As we talked about getting Jesse Edwards in foul trouble, which paid massive dividends at the end of the game. Pat Kilby, we want to get to our shady stat of the game and our Kilby stat of the game, and we're going to do that in just a second. All right, folks, let's wrap up today's show with our Kilby stat of the game, our shady stat of the game, and then we got some odds and ends to throw at you that we haven't touched on yet, but just just things that we thought were interesting or noteworthy from this game. Pac, why don't we start with you? Let me get that Kilby stat of the game. The Kilby stat of the game is that the Tar Heels converted 17 Syracuse turnovers into 21 points off of turnover. And, you know, just kind of like you mentioned in the previous segment, getting to the free throw line is a big deal against the zone. Well, you know, a lot of times, you know, playing against the zone can really slow the pace down. And, you know, sometimes it is difficult to score because you – did a whole lot Um, so converting turnovers into points is a huge deal and I think those 21 were were really big for us tonight great as I talked about um on on the recap from the NC State show it's funny you you usually hear me banter a lot about I want to see a high assist percentage because that to me is a shine a sign of Carolina playing Carolina basketball that was not the goal or design against NC State. The goal and design was to attack, get to the rim, and uh, draw fouls, which they did at a very high rate. But against this 2-3 zone, you got to see a team sharing the ball well for them to be successful. I want to see guys moving the zone both through the pass. I want to see them moving the zone through pump fakes and look-offs. We had several, like, there, there was a t- I forget when it was. Leakey had a great look off tonight that moved the defense. It's like a quarterback moving the secondary with his eyes. Leakey looked off a defender just enough to be able to slide the ball into Mondo um, like at the mid post. And I believe Carolina scored off of that one. Those kind of things. Well, Carolina finishes the first off the first half. Huh? They had, I've lost it. 14 of 
14 assists on 16 made baskets in the first half, finished the game with 20 assists on 26 made baskets for the game, a season-high assist rate, Pat Kilby, of 76.9%. That is the shady stat of this game because that is what Carolina does against Syracuse. I always feel confident coming into a Syracuse game because I know the Tar Heel coaching staff knows how to set up a great attack against the 2-3 zone, and that was proven once again on Tuesday night in the no longer called the Carrier Dome. So let's look at some other odds and ends some uh, that we take away from this game. One of the first things I want to look at is uh, we talked about R.J. Davis getting beat up. Well, right after the Pete Nance play, um, where we get that bucket to go to go back up 69-68, R.J. Davis, man, takes some more punishment from Judah Mitz, who, by the way, is a fantastic freshman. He, to me, might be top two freshman in the conference right behind Kyle Filipowski. I, I like him that much right now. Um, but R.J., who, let's be honest, Pac, I thought – uh, didn't do a great job all game long staying in front of Mintz when tasked with it. But on this play, he was right there with him between basket and ball and uh, bore the brunt of the elbow sweep through. And uh, what, what we're waiting to hear right now is how RJ is doing. Uh, thankfully, Carolina has a uh, like over a week off before they play again. So plenty of time to hopefully rest and recuperate. But what did you see from RJ's defense on that play in particular that allowed him to be in position better than he had in other possessions during this game? Yeah, he – well, I don't know if it was the moment or what, but he seemed like he was a little bit more locked in and engaged. Uh, but, yeah, he just – I mean, he kept his body in front which when someone's attacking downhill that quickly, hmm. somebody being in front of you is – it's a huge hurdle. Like, um, makes it a lot tougher to finish. It's already – you know, it's tough enough to get – when you're going downhill that fast with a basketball, it's tough enough. But then you got another guy in front of you makes it tougher. And then he just stood in there and took that that wide elbow, you know, on the sweep through and uh, – uh, as Roy Williams would say, he's a tough little, tough little nut. I thought the exact thing in that moment. By the way, I just happened to pull up Twitter to see. Um, we're recording this before we've listened to Coach's post-game press conference. We're just trying to get it uh, out and recorded for you. And what popped up is Adrian Atkinson, who does a great job charting Carolina games, getting stats out, deep cut stuff, at Freeport Kid on Twitter. Give him a follow. Says, R.J. Davis is the first Carolina player to draw three offensive fouls in a game since a 2021 game at NC State. Pack, any guesses who that player was? 2021? Yeah. God, I don't know who that would be. Let's say uh, Brady. He is still playing college basketball right now, but is like a super-duper senior and is playing at a different school. Kerwin Walton? No, no sir. Uh, Older than that. Uh, Andrew Playtech? Yes, Andrew Playtech, who is now at Siena. That is a great stat there from Adrian Atkinson. Love to see that. But, yeah, great job by RJ. We will wait to see. Hopefully he's fine um, and and will be ready to go for Pittsburgh next Wednesday. Pack, here's another one for me. Syracuse led this game for one minute and 40 seconds, and I just got that feeling in the pit of my stomach where I was like, this is going to be one of those games where this team is going to lead for under two minutes of this game 
and going to stink and win it. And I hate it when that happens. But thankfully, it did not come to fruition. Fruition, excuse me. And so I, I was thankful for that. Another thing I, w- I want to get your thoughts on, uh, particularly with your coaching hat on, is it felt to me like there were a lot of times when a foul when a foul could have been called that Armando Baycott drew. Not, not against Armando Baycott, but like he drew the foul, where it went uncalled, unwhistled. And it reminded me a lot of how Tyler Hansborough was often officiated in the post, um, where just because it just didn't stop him. He just kept going that a lot of times he didn't receive the benefit of a lot of whistles that I thought he could have gotten. Did you feel like that was the case tonight against Mondo? Man, I'll be honest with you. I feel like it's that way almost every night. Um, Specifically with Mondo? Yeah. And especially I've noticed it more this season than maybe ever before. And I think, man, here's what I think it is. And it doesn't make it right. Um, (laughs) I think that the officials go, well, we can't call it all. We can't call it all the time and we'll constantly be blowing our whistle. So we let a lot of it go. Um, it's and, like the way the Seahawks play defense in football. Right. <laughs> We're going to have defensive pass interference on every play and they can't always whistle it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I could be wrong. That's just what it feels like. And yeah, it's, it's highly frustrating and annoying. And I hope, that the closer we get to postseason play, it gets corrected because, I mean, that type of stuff is the difference in winning and losing a basketball game. And so, um, yeah, the way they officiate him is it's it's very frustrating. I know from Armando, it is you can see his body language is like, Absolutely. Absolutely. what? I mean, what else do I have to do to get a foul call? You know, so. And he's pretty good. Something I want to give Mondo credit for is he's really good about getting up and walking away. Like there was a potential scuffle at one point in this game and he just walked back to the Carolina bench. And and that's what you got to do. You cannot rise to those occasions. Great stuff there. Well, folks, deep breath. Carolina wins this game, gets their second road victory gets a week off to rest and recuperate. Poor RJ Davis. This man needs 83 ice packs on his body after this one. That's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Coming up tomorrow, we got some college basketball recruiting stuff. We're talking about Jaron Stevenson. That should be a lot of fun. Please don't forget our mailbag episode on Friday. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels. You can follow our guy, Pack at Coach underscore K23. Give the man a follow. He's coming to you tonight from his truck for crying out loud. You love it. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Isaac Shade. You can email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your questions and interactions. It's so fun. I love that side of what we do. Please also don't forget to subscribe to the show on YouTube. Please don't forget to smash the like button and leave comments. All of that is so fun to interact with and also helpful to the show. And for your second listen, check out our brand new podcast, our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Myself and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the college basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube, Odyssey, and anywhere else you get podcasts. Folks, we won this game. Carolina did. They held on. I just keep saying it. I keep taking deep breaths. It's a great reminder that it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Right, Pat Kilby? You know it to be true. All right. Until tomorrow, what do we got for you? Peace. Peace.